Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's has ranked Edelman Financial Services as the number one independent advisory firm in the nation based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investor returns and experience are not considered. Edelman combined with Financial Engines advisors in November 2018. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Edelman Financial Engines is the number one ranked investment advisor in the country by Barron's. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show on this post-Valentine's Day weekend and a happy President's Day weekend. Hope your holiday was a wonderful one. Well, I think everybody's breathing a sigh of relief that we are not experiencing another government shutdown. But did you notice that even if there was a government shutdown, Wall Street really wouldn't care? You know what was most fascinating is how little care Wall Street is devoting to this subject. And I'll tell you why. The economy is doing great. Also explains why the stock market did fabulous during the 35-day government shutdown that occurred earlier this year. Wall Street didn't seem to care because Wall Street's focused on the economy. It's focused on the future of the economy and on corporate profits as a result of the economic growth. And the numbers are all fabulous. Job openings in December rose to the highest level since 2000. There are now seven and a half million jobs available, according to the Department of Labor. That's as of December 31st. Check this out. There are seven and a half million jobs available. Do you know how many people are looking for work? Six million. So we have more jobs available than people there are looking for those jobs. And median incomes are up as well, sharply, between 2013 and 2016, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Incomes grew 10%. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate is at its lowest level since 1969. The private sector has generated 20 million new jobs in the last decade. And the average hourly earnings for non-managers hit $23 in November. That, on an inflation-adjusted basis, is the same as it was in 1973, which means you're doing as well now as we all were back in the 1970s. And yet, despite all of that, 40% of us are living paycheck to paycheck. The average credit card balance for households that have credit card balances, $7,000. So, you know, a common refrain from a lot of folks is, well, let's just raise taxes and, you know, make it easier, you know, dole out some money to folks and uh, make it easier for them. Well, New York is an illustration of the limitations of your ability to raise taxes. New York has a state budget of $175 billion. 
And they just reported that they generated uh, in December and January $2.3 billion less in income tax revenue than they predicted. That's 1.3% of their budget in just two months that they failed to collect. Why? What happened in December and January? Well, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's a Democrat, by the way, he said that the reason that the state produced less tax revenue than they expected is because wealthy New Yorkers moved out of the state and went to Florida. (laughs) Yeah, you see, New York has a very high state income tax. Florida has a zero income tax. And if you're a multimillionaire or a billionaire and you want to save yourself a whole lot of money, you change your state of residence from a high tax state to a zero tax state. Cuomo said that if this trend continues, it would affect the state's ability to spend on health, education, infrastructure, and even a planned tax cut for the middle class. In fact, he ridiculed fellow Democrats who were calling for higher state taxes on the rich because he said that the top 1% of New Yorkers are already paying 46% of all the state taxes. So this is what he said. I don't believe... Raising the taxes on the rich, uh, I think that would be the exact worst thing to do right now. Tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich, the rich leave. And now what do you do? So it's a struggle, isn't it, between the desire to provide more and more social services and state-provided benefits to residents and generating the revenues to be able to pay for all of that. And naturally, you tend to go to the people who have the money. You know, it's kind of the Wooly Sutton theory of taxation. Why do you tax the rich? Because that's where the money is, except that the rich can get up and leave. And when they do, you've got a bit of a problem. It raises a broader question. Are there risks in municipal bonds? Because let's face it, one way that the states generate the money they need to pay their bills is by selling bonds to investors. They're called municipal bonds. State and local governments sell these bonds to pay for schools and hospitals and roads and utilities and so on. And high-yield municipal bonds, which is a $4 trillion marketplace, has become quite popular. A high-yield muni is a municipal bond issued by a local government that is so small they don't even get rated by the ratings agencies. These are considered risky bonds, and they tend to have the highest rates of default, and yet they comprise 20% of all municipal bond sales in 2018. According to industry statistics, One type of bond is a continuing care retirement community bond, where the theory is The local government sells the bond, they take the money, and they build a retirement home. Theoretically, the revenues from the retirement home pay the interest on the bond, but if there aren't enough people who move into the retirement community, they're not generating enough revenue, and there's not enough revenue to pay back the bondholders. 4% of those kinds of bonds were in default as of January 1st. So you've got to be careful about buying municipal bonds, and particularly high-risk municipal bonds. There's another risk as well. The states are so underfunded in many cases that they have to choose which bills they want to pay. And for a lot of states, the choice is, do we pay school teachers? Do we pay firefighters? Do we pay police officers? Or do we pay 
money into the pension plan that is owed to state workers. What MetLife discovered is that 67% of plan sponsors, pension plan sponsors, are considering the elimination of their pension plans and replacing them with private annuity contracts offered by insurance companies. So you've got to wonder, is your pension safe? Is your employer going to be able to provide you the income in retirement that they've been promising you? And you're going to have to decide how safe is your pension. And my message to you is, don't assume that the pension is safe. I don't care who the employer is. Don't assume the pension won't be changed. Don't assume that the pension benefits won't be altered. Because when they created these pension programs, it didn't occur to them that there'd be so many retirees living for so long. And it raises the question of whether they have the ability to pay. Therefore, you should act as though you don't have a pension coming to you. Save as though the pension doesn't exist. This way, if everything works out great, you have your income from your pension, plus you have a whole bunch of savings. I have yet to meet the client who complains to me that we made them save too much money. Meanwhile, in conversation of a government shutdown, the IRS says that that last government shutdown, the 35 days, generated 5 million pieces of unopened mail. The IRS is pouring through that mail right now. That includes tens of thousands of audit responses and amended tax returns. Also, because people weren't able to call the IRS in January, they're doing it now. And so the average wait time on the phone is now 17 minutes. It was four minutes last year. And oh, by the way, only 48% of those who call actually end up reaching a human being, less than half. Last year, it was 90%. So if you're trying to deal with the IRS, good luck with that. But you know what? What you don't have to have good luck with is getting good, solid financial advice and education. That's what this radio show is all about. And that's what we're going to continue to give you here on the program. I want you to stay tuned to find out a big, increasing reason why people are divorcing. You're going to find it shocking, and I want you to stay tuned. And I'm also going to tell you an increasing strategy for money that married homeowners are taking. All that plus some of your telephone calls here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Stay with us for more. I'm Rick Edelman with Edelman Financial Engines. author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742 online at ricedelman.com. Uh, You married? Is there a risk that your marriage might end in divorce? Well, according to a recent study, they looked at 4,600 petitions for divorce, and they found that 200 of them, that's a pretty significant number, that's about 5% of the divorces, said that the marriage was destroyed because one spouse had become addicted to Fortnite. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? (laughs) You might even be wondering, what is Fortnite? 
it might be right now the world's most popular video game. Oh, that's Pac-Man's music. That's not Fortnite's. Here's Fortnite's music. Fortnite was launched in 2017. It's less than two years old, and it now has 125 million users around the world. And you might say some of them are downright compulsive about it to the point that 200 marriages at least have resulted in divorce because one of those spouses is playing the game and doing virtually nothing else. Harvard has just had an interesting take on married homeowners. No, they're not divorcing because of video games. They're looking to raise money to help generate their savings. What are they doing? Taking on roommates. There's a 38% increase in the number of married homeowners who have added a roommate to their house. That's a 38% increase over the 20-year average for the past 20 years, according to Harvard. It doesn't sound totally crazy to me. When Gene and I first got married, we had a roommate, and it helped us uh, pay the bills and allowed us to live in a home we otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford individually by ourselves. A lot of folks are using this to defray the expenses and building equity as the house grows in value over years. Lots of lifestyle issues associated with this, as you can certainly imagine, but it just demonstrates how people are getting creative in generating income beyond just the single W-2 paycheck that traditionally folks would have gotten. And speaking of homeownership, where are you planning to put down your roots? Is it perchance Miami? Well, the Army Corps of Engineers says that in the next 30 years, the sea level around Miami is going to climb 10 to 16 inches The Union of Concerned Scientists says $26 billion worth of residential real estate in Florida will be in danger of chronic flooding by 2045. Miami's got a bit of a challenge. Some real estate agents there are suggesting that the rising supply of properties, because there's a building boom going on in Miami, coupled with rising interest rates and rising seawater, could cause real estate values to fall as much as 30% over the next four years. You've got to really ask yourself the question, is where I'm planning to move viable in the long run? Not just is it a cool place to live now based on my current situation, but if you're going to live in that home for 10 years or more, is it going to be suitable for your lifestyle at the time? Are you going to perhaps by then be married with children? compared to being single and unattached today? Or might it be environmentally challenged for all sorts of reasons? I apply the same logic that you must ask yourself when buying a vehicle. Very often when gas prices are low, people are happy to buy gas guzzlers. They're happy to buy those big trucks that get 10 or 12 miles to the gallon. But suddenly when gas prices spike, People are lamenting the fact that they are paying so much at the pump and they wish they had a more fuel-efficient vehicle. Well, don't buy a vehicle based on what's going on at the moment, based on how many miles per gallon you get or how much it costs per gallon or how many miles a day you drive at the moment. Think ahead because you're going to own this vehicle for three, four, five, six years. Think ahead. That's what financial planning is all about. 
Uh, I had a lot of media activity this past week. Uh, FX Street, Think Advisor, CityWire, the Detroit Free Press all interviewed me. I was on CNBC twice in the past week. And I wrote an article for Investment News that I want to share with you. This is uh, an article they asked me to write for them on the subject of financial illiteracy. And my message is really aimed at financial advisors. It's not terribly often on this radio show that I target my commentary to financial advisors. I know that there are lots of financial advisors listening to this show because I hear from them quite often. Not always in the negative either. And I want to share with you this article because there's a message here for you as mom and dad as well. The issue that Investment News is is focusing on in its uh, journalism is the notion of financial education and financial illiteracy. And they asked me to write a piece on how do we cure financial illiteracy. And my answer is, teach them while they're young. So my question to financial advisors is this. Do you have any clients who lack financial literacy? It's a silly question, of course, because every financial advisor does. Financial illiteracy is a plague that has infected the majority of Americans. Every survey on the subject has revealed that most consumers can't answer even the most basic questions about credit and debt or saving and investing. Forget about amortization and depreciation. As financial advisors, we all know the ruinous impact of financial illiteracy. The average 401k balance in this country is under $96,000, and almost 60% of working-class Americans have no retirement savings at all. That's according to the National Institute on Retirement Savings. And that's not even the worst of it. The Federal Reserve says 40% of Americans don't even have the cash to pay an unexpected bill of 400 bucks. And the recent government shutdown revealed that 78% of federal workers are living paycheck to paycheck. So yeah, there can be no doubt. Americans are unprepared for retirement. And with 10,000 workers reaching age 65 every day, our nation is facing a retirement security crisis of unprecedented magnitude. And yet Americans can't improve their personal finances until they know how to do it. And so the real question is, how do we cure Americans of their financial illiteracy? The answer is simple teach them while they're young. As obvious as this idea is, few children are getting the education they need. Only 25 states require that high school students take a personal finance class, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education, and most employers provide little to no financial education in the workplace. And that's why financial education has to start at home, long before kids enter high school. Indeed, studies show that children make their first assisted purchases at age three. You know where that is? choosing cereal boxes in grocery stores. And they get allowances often starting at age six. So parents need to be the ones to begin providing the financial education kids need in order to be money-savvy adults. And parents know it too. Today, parents talk to their kids about everything, religion, politics, sex, drugs, you name it, but money is still not often discussed. It's not because parents are afraid of the subject, it's because they don't know what to say. And that's what we discovered when we surveyed parents recently at Edelman Financial Engines. Nearly 9 in 10 parents of 4- to 8-year-olds said that it's extremely important that their kids grow up with good financial habits. And 91% of parents agree they should be the ones teaching their children those habits. But half of parents said they don't know how to discuss money in ways that they think their kids would understand. And as a result, 1 in 4 parents never talk to their kids about household finances. 
As financial advisors, we're ideally suited to helping solve this national crisis. We're the experts on the subject. We're skilled at explaining complex financial concepts in plain English. Our clients have children and grandchildren who are eager to learn, and so it's time we started teaching. That's what we do here at Edelman Financial Engines. We've been providing financial education for decades, a lot of it aimed at children. Our seminar, Personal Finance is Fun, is aimed at 10 to 15-year-olds. This past November, we launched our first children's book, The Squirrel Manifesto, for 4 to 8-year-olds. And we provide massive levels of education in the workplace for companies all across the country. So if you're a financial advisor, I encourage you to focus on financial literacy for your clients and your kids. And if you're a parent and you need help with this, reach out to us at 888-PLAN-RIC and let us show you how you can help improve the financial education for your children. And you just might learn something at the same time. And oh, by the way, my op-ed in investment news is available for you at our website at rickedelman.com. Download it today and share it with your financial advisor. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RIC online at ricedelman.com. wealth of information on personal hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit MeetMolinaCA.com. Let's talk today. Finance. Go to the education page at RickEdelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. We're off to St. Louis taking telephone calls. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you very much, Rick. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure talking to you. Well, you as well. What can I do for you? I'll tell you what. A couple things. Let me give you a little background. Uh, I'll try to just be brief on these things. Um, we had a, a, a beach house uh, that we're in the process of selling right now. It's been for sale for a few years. My wife actually called you and spoke to you about a year ago on this, and you gave her advice just keep on lowering the price until the sales because it's not investment property. It's just for fun. So we finally sold it, and uh, we're going to get about $74,000 of cash uh, from that sale. So the question is that I have, um, we have some bills that we have to pay. We have a $60,000 student loan. Uh, I've got a $35,000 hospital bill that may or not may or may not be covered by uh, insurance. I'm going uh, I'm, I'm having some trouble with the insurance company on that right now so that's still in the open whether it's going to be paid or not um and then when we sold our house two years ago um we have a deficiency of 60 grand that the bank um was able to give us a interest-free loan i do a lot of banking with this bank so they gave us an interest-free loan for about uh fifty-five thousand dollars so that's down to fifty-two thousand dollars now so when we get this cash i'm not sure if i should just put it aside, bank it, emergency fund, maybe put some of it towards a student loan, some of it towards uh, 
the house loan that we have. My business is doing very well. I have an auto repair business. My income is about 160000 a year. But I may just be here another year or two because uh, the landlord may want to sell the property. So I will not have an opportunity to sell my business, which is worth about $500,000. I can't sell it because the landlord isn't going to renew. So I either have to move my business someplace else, which I'm trying to do, so I can have an income for that and sell sell my business. Um, hopefully, I actually had a buyer, um, but it, it kind of fell through because the landlord... All right, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Uh, what do you have in the way of savings and investments? I got about $100,000 in IRA in cash set aside, about $75,000 cash. And what are your monthly expenses? Uh, monthly expenses, we're probably talking about, uh, well, we don't have the mortgage anymore, so I think the monthly expense is probably about $4,000. And you mentioned that you have a business worth 500000 Why is merely losing your location mean the end of the business? Why don't you just move the business to another location? That's what I'm trying to do. I, I do not own the building, and I've been here for 20 years, so I've built up quite a good reputation with my customers. Well, if that's true, they'll move with you. They, they will. So I'm, what I'm doing is I'm looking for a location within a couple miles of where I am currently, but there's nothing available. There is a garage up the street that's for sale. Uh, he wants a million dollars for the property. It's an old Chrysler dealership. It would work perfectly, but there's environmental issues up there. And I, I know, um, you know, I, I'm thinking that I may be in this business for another three or four years before I retire, so I don't know that I actually want to buy a building. So if your worst case scenario comes to fruition and you lose your business because you've lost the location, you can't relocate the business, and you don't have any other income stream at the moment, what would you do? Well, my wife was a real estate agent for over 20 years, and uh, we were in a car accident a couple of years ago. She's on, she's on disability right now, and so she has some income from that. It's about 1000 bucks a month, disability, but I'm giving her 400 bucks a week just go to transfer into account. Getting back to your question, I'm taking real estate classes right now. So just as a backup, just as a backup, uh, I can always go into the real estate industry. And I know I can't make the money I'm making right now. So my, my number one goal here is to try to relocate my business. All right. Based on everything going on, your, your life is in transition right now. Yeah. And when I'm that sure. occurs, the key for survival is to maintain flexibility, and that means maximizing your cash position. So if you're getting $74,000 from the sale of an asset, the last thing you want to do is give away the 74000 in the form of paying off debts. In other words, there's no demand that you pay off your student loan debt right now. They're just asking for a monthly payment. There's no right. demand that you repay the bank on this underwater loan they gave you. They're just asking for a monthly payment. And there's no demand that you pay the medical bill in full. You can strike a monthly payment plan with them if the insurance company doesn't work it all out for you. So right. do that. Just make your minimum monthly payments and leave it at that until you get through the transition and you know where you stand with your wife's rehabilitation and whether or not she's able to go back to work and if so, what kind of income can she earn? What happens with the disposition of your business? Are you able to relocate it and keep the business up and running? Could you merge the business with a competitor, selling it to a competitor? Because what the competitor really wants to buy is your client list. As you said, you have a loyal client base. So perhaps you can 
join a competitor's location as opposed to starting something on your own. Or if you do shut it down and move on, where are you going to go geographically and what are you going to do occupationally? Until you sort it all out, just take a deep breath and say, I got 64 grand in my pocket and I'm going to hang on to it. Add it to the 75 grand you already got. That's 150 grand. Your monthly expenses are only four. So you've got a lot of cash to tide you over for years until you sort it all out. And that's a wonderful position to be in. Yeah, my expense is actually probably more like five, but I know that doesn't change things much. But yeah, so um, I think you're right. And my wife and I discussed this, and we thought that just putting this money aside just to keep there in case, you know, I lose my business and things start to happen, at least we have that money set aside. So um, I think that's uh, I, that's what I, I wanted to hear. That's what I thought you would say. I just wanted to hear from you. Well, I'm glad I was able to confirm it for you, and that's exactly what folks ought to do. Even if you think you know what you're supposed to do, even if it sounds right, can't hurt to get a second opinion just to verify it. That gives you a lot greater comfort and confidence as you move forward. Yeah, that sounds great. I appreciate the uh, the advice on that and uh, like listening to you. Thank you very much. Steve, thanks so much for your telephone call. I want to change conversation here to Valentine's Day. I know it was this past Thursday. But I want to ask you, where did you find your Valentine? Increasingly, I'm willing to bet it was on the Internet. Internet dating is now a $4.5 billion business globally. Match Group operates Tinder, Match.com, and 40 other internet dating websites. They had revenues in 2017 of $1.3 billion. This is a serious business. Tinder has nearly 4 million paying subscribers. And their research, which they've recently published, says that 5% of the people who use these sites will never get a match. And they more likely are men. Men tend to like 60% of all the female profiles they see, which I guess means men are not terribly discriminating, women like just 6% of the males. So women are 10 times more discriminating than the men on these sites. But I want to ask you this question. Have you met someone online, a friend or a romantic interest, and has that friend or romantic interest asked you for money 17 percent of those surveyed say yes you need to watch out the fbi's internet crime complaint center says there were 15,000 victims of romance fraud in 2017 love stinks and more than half of those victims are over the age of 50 total financial losses according to the fbi $220 million. So, how can you protect and defend yourself? AARP's Fraud Watch Network offers these warning signs. If you're engaging in internet conversation, online dialogue with someone who you've never personally met face-to-face, watch out if they profess their love too quickly. Watch out if the person immediately wants to leave the website where you've met and communicate with you through email or instant messaging. Why? Because it's easier for them to be privately duping you. Watch out if your new romantic interest sends you a picture that looks more like from a model in a fashion magazine than an ordinary snapshot. Watch out if they repeatedly promise to meet you in person but always cancel. Why would that be? Because they're in Nigeria! 
and they can't meet you at the local coffee shop. And watch out if they request money, which often is embedded in a variety of reasons. They need to make an emergency trip to visit a sick grandmother. They've got a medical emergency and their money's tied up. They're having trouble getting their visa. Or they've just had a financial loss and they just need cash to tide themselves over until something settles or something happens. And they dupe you, says the FBI, to the tune of $220 million. Yeah, love can stink. You're listening to the truth about money. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's talk about Medi Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. More with the publisher of the newsletter, Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. I'm very happy to bring on to the program Jeffrey Zanzenbacher. Jeff is the Associate Director of Research at the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on the program. No problem, Rick. Boston College's Center for Retirement Research is one of the most prestigious organizations in the country focusing on, you guessed it, retirement. And it's a daunting issue because, you know, a generation or two ago, nobody ever had to think much about retirement. But these days, it's a huge deal because we're living so much longer than ever before. The challenge is, therefore, how to save enough money for retirement. And a lot of folks want to save for retirement. We all recognize the need for saving for retirement. But two-thirds of working Americans work for employers that don't offer a retirement plan at work. A lot of states are now starting to step up to help solve this problem. So, Jeff, tell us what they're doing and how these programs work and can help people. Yeah, the, one of the most promising kinds of programs that are out there are called auto IRAs. And basically what a state does is, is tell its employers, you either have to offer a plan like a 401k to your employees, or if you don't want to do that, you need to automatically enroll your employees into an IRA-type account, typically a Roth IRA-type account. Um, the employer isn't required to make any kind of match or any contributions. They basically just need to facilitate the employee's contributions to the program. And typically, these programs are run by a private sector provider, and the state oversees and makes sure that everything runs smoothly. The states that are doing this right now are California, Illinois, and Oregon, with Oregon being the, the most senior of those programs that launched about a year and a half ago. And then there are two states that have passed legislation to start those programs that haven't started them yet. The, those states are Maryland and Connecticut. Um, and then a few other states have done what are called marketplaces, where 
They don't make any requirement of employers, but they do set up a marketplace of 401k plans that the state says are, are good and, and, and offers that as a way to get employers to enroll in states that have done that are, are New Jersey and Washington. Would you say this is a bandwagon that the others are all starting to jump on and in the future you can expect pretty much every state to be doing something? You know, with respect to auto, auto IRAs, it's really unclear, I would say. So the five states that have passed legislation that I mentioned, they've been the only five for a little bit of time now. So one thing that happened is the Obama administration passed, some legis- or passed a regulation that would have made it more clear that states are allowed to offer these programs. Um, the Trump administration and Congress uh, basically um, did not approve of that regulation, and they were able to get it off the books. And so there's a little bit of a question about whether um, states are allowed to do this. Um, I think the thinking is they are, but there's a little bit of a legal question. And so since that regulation was taken off the books, there has been there haven't been any new states coming online. So I'm not sure that this will be something every state does, but that would be the hope. Now, I want to make sure I, I fully understand how this works. If the states are saying, like Oregon, which was the first one to do this, they go to employers and they say, you have a choice. You either create a 401k or you have to auto-enroll. Now, are you saying that the employees have to join the plan or they simply have to be given the opportunity to join the plan? Uh, They they absolutely don't have to join a plan. So they're automatically enrolled. They have one month to opt out of the program, at which point contributions will start being made to their account. Um, at any point, they can opt out after that and set their, or set their contribution rate to zero. And then in case some people don't realize that they were given the opportunity to opt out, so they don't, they, don't, they don't realize and they don't notice, and then money starts coming out of their paycheck, to make sure that those people can get their money back risk-free, um, the first $1,000 of contributions that are deposited into a capital preservation fund. Um, and so that if an uh, employee says, wait a second, I, I know I had a month to opt out, but I forgot, and I didn't do it, and, and now I want to opt out, and I want my money back, that money will be there. Um, and then the, the design of the Roth IRA also makes it relatively risk-free for the employee because when they do take that money out, they're not going to get penalized for it. Meaning there are no taxes or... There are no taxes and no penalty on early withdrawals, yep. So what are the challenges that you see these programs facing? Aside from the legal challenge, can the states do it? Are there any yep. other challenges operationally? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple couple big ones, I would say. So one is just that, you know, if you think about workers who are covered by 401Ks, they tend to be bigger employers, and they tend to be fairly stably employed. Workers who aren't covered by those kinds of plans, the, the very workers that these programs would affect, they're much more mobile, um, and they, they move around from job to job a lot more. And so getting getting those workers enrolled in the program quickly ensures that they can start saving before they move on to the next job. And that's, that's really difficult for, um, for a program to facilitate. That's one big challenge. I think the other one is just getting employers to um, participate with a fairly soft touch. I think states don't want to find employers who don't, who don't participate. They don't, they don't want to have a hard hand with this. And so one of the hardest things is just getting employers to, to do this, which they're required to do, but in a way that also doesn't um, make them dislike the program, because an employer that dislikes the program is an employer that's going to tell their employees not to participate, and so they want employers to be happy. And so the hardest thing is keeping employers happy while also getting them to to do what they need to do. And in Oregon, we're seeing that manifest itself in um, employers taking a little bit longer to get online than, than maybe they might hope. But I think, I think that problem is getting better, but it's certainly a challenge. So give me again the list of the states that are doing this so far. Yeah, so so far we have Oregon 
Illinois and California that all have programs up and going in various phases. So Oregon's been going on for about a year and a half. Um, I think California just launched its pilot um, with Illinois somewhere in between. And then Maryland and Connecticut are the two states that have passed legislation to start one of these programs, but uh, they haven't launched it yet. And you mentioned New Jersey was doing something. New Jersey's doing a marketplace plan instead, which is basically a, a way to get employers who want to offer 401k voluntarily to uh, have an easier way to find one. Yeah. I view that solution as a little less um, a less promising just because I think it's, it's not so much that employers find it really hard to offer a 401k. I think um, to find a 401k, I think they just find it the step they have to take to go offer one is just too much to, to to kind of do when they have so much else to worry about. So we, we think auto IRAs are a little more promising. So I'm an employee of a small company. My boss says to me, hey, we're not creating a retirement plan, but there's this uh, auto IRA that the state has now created. I'm automatically signing you up for it. I say, great, let's do it. What are the investment choices I have available? Yeah, so the the default investment is, as I mentioned, for the first thousand dollars, a capital preservation fund. Then it goes into a target date fund. Um, the states have also made available a uh, a basically a stable value fund and then a growth fund. So essentially, there's the target date funds that are available by default, and then a conservative and a more aggressive investment option. But for now, those are the those are the investment options being offered. But who's actually running the money? Who's the investment company? Yeah, in Oregon, it, it depends on the state. Oregon is working with State Street Global Advisors to, to manage the investments and a company called Ascensus um, to actually administer the program. In other words, it sounds kind of like the 529 plans where states have hired mutual fund companies to run the programs for them. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what it, it is. very similar to a 529 plan with pretty much the, the biggest exception being the tax structure of the underlying vehicle and then the automatic enrollment portion. Got it. Uh, so in the total list of states where you've mentioned, Oregon, Illinois, California, Maryland, Connecticut, New Jersey, if somebody wants to learn more about this, either because they work for a small employer where they don't have a plan or they own a small business and they're interested in getting involved, how do people learn more? Yeah, so each... Each uh, state that has launched a program is operating its own website. So uh, in Oregon, that website is basically, is called Oregon Saves, and if you Google Oregon Saves, you'd be able to find information on the program. If you're looking for information on these programs more generally, um, our center, uh, www.bc.edu CRR, has written several issue briefs on this topic. And then there's the Georgetown Center on State Retirement Initiatives, and that center also does a really nice job of publicizing some of the work being done at the state level. Excellent. That's Jeffrey Zanzenbacher, who is the Associate Director of Research at Boston College's Center for Retirement Research. Thanks so much for sharing this information with us today. Uh, No problem, Rick. You can learn more about our work at fundingourfuture.us. I want to change the conversation here as we leave you this hour to say goodbye to Bruce Williams, who died this past week at the age of 86. Bruce Williams, a legendary talk show host, his career lasted more than three decades He's in the National Radio Hall of Fame, and Talkers Magazine named him in 2002 at number six in its list of the greatest radio talk show hosts of all time. Bruce Williams was the pioneer in advice talk shows on radio, and his personal advice and business advice paved the way for me to be able to be here for the past 28 years, giving you my personal finance advice on the program. I was a huge fan of Bruce Williams. He meant a lot to me and inspired me in my career, and we mourn his passing. I'm Rick Edelman. 
This is the Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice. And Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier. About extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit MeetMolinaCA.com. Let's talk today. Medi-Cal.com. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Edelman Financial Engines is the number one ranked investment advisor in the country by Barron's. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. I'm going to take a little bit of a detour uh, from our normal activities here on the program. Uh, Normally, I'm sharing with you the latest and greatest news and information that is applicable to your personal finances. What I want to do now is something that's more evergreen, more timeless, more basic and fundamental for your personal finances. And the reason I'm doing this is because of a survey that TIAA has produced that demonstrated only 16% of Americans have a high level of financial literacy. And in the survey, they asked people, do you understand the following words? Do you know what a stock is? 35% don't know what a stock is. 60% don't know what capital gains and losses are. And 56% don't know what asset allocation is. Stocks, capital gains and losses, and asset allocation. So I want to share this with you because this is as fundamental as it gets to your efforts to create wealth. So let me just explain this to you, and let's see if what I'm about to tell you matches with what your understanding has been because it has profound implications for your financial future. First of all, I'm going to frame it to you in this way. What business am I in? What business is every financial advisor, stockbroker, financial planner in? Are we in the product business or are we in the service business? Most people, when I ask that question at our seminars, raise their hand when they say they believe I'm in the service business. Because after all, our advice is what they're paying for. But you know what? If you really get down to the deepest most basic element of this, I'm in the product business. Because sure, my advice matters, but if you think about it, my advice is telling you what to do with your money. Buying investments, and those investments are products. You're buying a stock or a bond or a mutual fund, or you're buying a house, or you're buying gold coins, or you're buying whatever it is you are choosing to buy. And at the end of the day, those are products. So in a weird way, you could argue that It's sort of like going to uh, a restaurant. Is the waiter providing a service? 
yeah, but he's really selling a product. He's selling whatever's on the menu, and that's a product, even though you're getting advice when you're asking, well, what, what's good today? What do you like best? And what wine goes with this? The advice matters, of course. But if you don't implement the advice, if you never buy the investments that we're telling you to buy, then the advice really isn't of all that value, is it? It's the implementation that counts. And in the scheme of these things, there are two kinds of investments, stocks and bonds. In other words, stocks are an ownership. You own a piece of the business. You only make money if the business makes money. If the business goes broke, you go broke. So you have a sink or swim. This is pure American capitalism. You provide money to a business so it can grow. And if it doesn't succeed in the marketplace and goes bankrupt, so is the value of your stock worthless. That's different from a bond where you're lending money to the business. The company is willing to pay you interest on that bond and eventually return your principal. You don't care whether the company makes money or not. As long as they're in business to repay the loan, that's all that matters to you. Oh, by the way, let me ask you this. What's a bank CD? Is it a stock or a bond? A bank certificate of deposit. Which is it? It's a bond. You're lending money to the bank. They're paying you interest. The interest you get has nothing to do with the profits of the bank, right? In other words, a bank CD is kind of like a bond. Yeah, there are, of course, many important differences, but inherently, it acts more like a bond than a stock. When you buy a stock, let's say that you buy it for 10 bucks, and later you sell it for 12 that $2 profit is called a capital gain. Why don't they just call it a profit? Why does the IRS insist on calling it a capital gain? I don't know, but they do. Why does it use the word capital? Because that's another word for money. Why is it called a gain? Because you made money. You got a $2 gain, a $2 profit. And you have to pay taxes on that gain when you sell the stock. If you don't sell the stock, you don't pay the taxes. You only pay the tax after you sell it. By the way, if you die owning the stock, your kids inherit the stock, and they don't have to pay the tax on that profit. Pretty cool, huh? So if you are in your 80s or 90s, or if you're in bad health and you own an asset, you probably shouldn't sell it. Die with it. This way your kids will get it without having to pay the capital gains tax. By the way, the amount of tax you have to pay is based on how long you owned the stock. You want to own the stock for more than a year so that you pay less in capital gains taxes. And if you have a loss, you buy the stock for 10 bucks, it falls to 8. Now you have a capital loss and you get to deduct the loss on your tax return. In fact, if you have a gain in one stock and a loss in the other, you can offset the two so that you only pay taxes on the net result. So capital gains and losses make a huge difference when investing in stocks. In terms of how long you own the stock, how much the gains are, how big the losses are, all is a factor in effective asset management. And finally, I use the word asset there. This is the thing that drives me crazy about Jim Cramer and Money Magazine and Kiplingers, and Barron's, and the Wall Street Journal, and Business Week. Everybody who is out there telling you what stock's hot and what's not. 
Every night, if you watch Jim Cramer on CNBC, if you read all those publications on a weekly basis or daily basis, they are always touting the stocks they believe are going to go up in value and, in fact, in their view, go up in value more than other stocks. Okay, fine. I'm not going to quibble over the veracity of those recommendations. I'm not going to challenge whether or not those predictions are any good. Most of the time, they're not. That's another conversation. But let's just assume that their recommendation is valid, that you should, in fact, do what they're telling you to do and buy whatever it is they're telling you to buy. Here's what they never tell you. This is the problem I have. This is what frustrates me. They never tell you how much of it to buy. They might say, oh, hey, Apple is a great opportunity. You should buy Amazon. You should really invest in Delta. Hey, Procter & Gamble is a steal right now. I mean, whatever the stock is, whatever they happen to be touting, okay, fine, I should buy stock in J&J. But how much of my money, of my total investments, I have 100% of my money. My 100% might be worth more or less than your 100%, but we all have 100% of our money. Should I put all of it in that stock they're telling me to buy? Or should I put half of it, or a quarter of it, or a third of it, or 5% of it? How much should I put into one stock versus another? How much of my money should I have in stocks in total as opposed to bonds, or real estate, or gold, or oil? or foreign securities, or government securities, or cash. How much money should I have in each of these different asset classes? This is called asset allocation. How am I going to take my pie and slice it? How many slices will I create? And will I make each slice the same size? Or will I have different sizes for different slices? This is a key issue. Because the academic data tells us that the difference in returns is not which stock did you buy, but how much money did you put into it in the first place? Is this making sense? I hope so. You can get a lot more information on this in my first book, The Truth About Money, which explains the concept of stocks versus bonds, the understanding of the tax implication of your investments, and building a portfolio that consists many assets of different asset classes constructing an asset allocation. According to the TIAA survey, most Americans don't understand what stocks are, how capital gains and losses work, or what asset allocation is. And if you don't understand these fundamental premises, if you don't understand these basic concepts, you'll be limited in your ability to effectively save for your future. And that's what I'm trying to help provide to you. If you have questions on any of these subjects, don't feel that you can only go to a financial advisor for help in managing money. You should also feel free to talk to your financial advisor for understanding about how this stuff works, because you shouldn't invest until you do. And that's what we try to provide for you and for all of our clients at Edelman Financial Engines, making sure you get it, that you understand how this stuff works, how to make it apply for you. If we can help answer your questions, just give us a call. 888-PLAN-RIC. Don't worry about how much money you have or don't have. Don't worry about your circumstance and all that stuff. If you just got basic questions and basic information that you're seeking, we're happy to serve as the provider of that content. 
6742. Or visit us online with lots of great content there and on our YouTube channel at Edelman Financial Engines. It's a complete video series now available for free on YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel, binge watch it this weekend. Stay with us. Triple Eight Plan Rec online at ricedelman.com. For more information on what you need to do now, go to rickedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. Remember I was just sharing with you the segment last about uh, how those guys on CNBC and in the financial press drive me crazy because they're always making predictions telling you what to buy. And I made the offhand comment, well, whether those predictions are not or any good is a whole other conversation. Well, here's the other conversation. Pull up your chairs, turn up the volume. Yes, indeedy, it's time once again, boys and girls, for another thrilling installment of... Really bad advice. Here's your host, Rick Edelman. So let's go back to uh, January of 2017, two years ago. CNBC had a story that said the Wall Street outlook for 2017 is the most bearish annual outlook in 12 years. They said that Wall Street analysts were the most bearish since 2005, citing Oppenheimer, Citigroup, Barclays, Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, etc. The consensus forecast all saying that the stock market was going to do terribly in 2017, with the S&P rising barely 5%. Well, you know what happened, actually, in 2017. The stock market grew 19%, four times more than they said it would. Yeah. So the next time you do hear those guys telling you what's hot and what's not, you can do yourself a favor by simply ignoring them. Hey, let's take some telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. Off to Clifton, Virginia, Ken, patiently waiting on the phone. How are you, Ken? Welcome to the show. Good. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. What can I do for you? Well, I'm getting close to retirement, and uh, we own a second house. Uh, completely that we rent out right now. And I'm thinking as I get close to retirement, I don't want to really be tied down with a rental property. And I was looking, and uh, we have access to 403B and 457B uh, with our current jobs. And if we sold the house, um, I could shield some of my current income, or almost all of it, for the last few years before I retire by living off the proceeds of selling the house and was wondering if that might be an interesting thing to try. Yes, simply uh, based on what you've described. That's without any consideration of the economics or financial outlook of the asset and in terms of whether it might grow in value faster uh, or more safely than alternative assets might. And the, and it, the reason I'm citing it is strictly from a lifestyle perspective because that's what you focused on. And you said it correctly. What, what a lot of people don't realize when they contemplate the notion of being a real estate owner or a landlord is that you never get a phone call at three in the morning because something went wrong with your mutual fund. You know, it's when you own real estate, it's really an active business. It's not a passive activity like investing in stocks, bonds, ETFs, uh, mutual funds, etc. When you own real estate, you are you have several issues. One of them is you're a 
homeowner and you're going to get the issues of dealing with tenants. You've got to find tenants. You've got to make sure they pay their rent. You've got to deal with maintenance and repairs. Tenants tend to take less good care of the property than owners do. I mean, think about the last time you rented a car. Have you ever taken a rental car to a car wash? Of course not. You know, so renters don't treat property as well as owners do. So when the renters move out, you're going to deal with, you know, stains in the carpet, maybe uh, cigarette stains. You're going to deal with holes in the wall. Some jurisdictions require that you re-carpet and repaint in between uh, changing tenants. So you're dealing with maintenance, repairs, upkeep, the challenges of renters who don't pay rent and ultimately become squatters on the property where you can't evict them, even if you wanted to under state laws that sometimes exist. It's an issue. On the other hand, uh, real estate is a good asset class, and there's leverage usually involved, meaning you're not paying half a million for a half a million dollar house. You're paying a hundred grand and borrowing the rest, and that leverage exaggerates the profit potential. And that's why real estate investors like to be real estate investors. Uh, but if you only own one rental property, you have what we call concentration risk. You know, what if something goes wrong with that one property? You know, pipes bursting or a murder next door. Uh, or if you're in South Miami, uh, flooding that's, you know, due to climate change that's going to put properties underwater over the next 20 years or all kinds of stuff. And that's why, like any other sound investment strategy, if you're going to own real estate, you should own lots of rental properties so that you're diversifying your risks against the possibility of one thing going wrong with one property. But that's the opposite of what you said you wanted to do. You want to make your life simpler and easier. Right. And right. I would and I would right. I would agree with you. Uh, there, you know, at your stage of the game, there's no reason to add work. You can get comparable returns. I'm not necessarily saying as good uh, or uh, or tax benefits as high, but you can get comparable returns from other asset classes that are easier to manage. Uh, and and who knows, the alternatives might even be superior in returns to this rental property. So simply based on what you described, yeah, sell the property, move the money to cash or alternative investment strategies where you can generate a monthly income for as long as that lasts, and then you can tap into your retirement funds. So sure, on the surface, makes a great deal of sense. Great. That's what I was thinking. And I did a little bit of, you know, economic analysis on my own. And I think it's kind of a a break-even proposition. Uh, but again, like you say, you never know what's going to happen with the house. It could burn down. Yeah, and well, you have insurance for that purposes, but then you got to buy the insurance. To protect. Yeah, you, you've got, you know, it's there's no question that it's a hassle factor that real estate has that, yeah. you know, mutual funds and exchange-traded funds don't have. There's no question about that. But as I mentioned this, I know there are a lot of real estate investors listening to us cringing, and they would argue there are tax benefits from amortization and depreciation, uh, that you have leverage in real estate that you typically don't enjoy when buying funds. Uh, and it offers a diversification uh, to a non-correlated asset class away from the stock and bond markets. And, and the real estate investors aren't crazy when they say that. So I would simply say that there's more than one way to achieve your financial goals. It's not a question of right and wrong. It's not a question of do this or do that. A diversified portfolio can encompass all the above. And I would say that if you wanted to have real estate in your portfolio but didn't want the hassle factor of real estate, simply do real estate investment trusts, REITs. Sure. These trade on the New York Stock Exchange. We use them in our clients' portfolios. We actually give them 
uh, funds of REITs so that they're highly diversified. This way, you're putting your money into a fund that buys real estate, and it buys all kinds of real estate in lots of geographic dispersion to create the diversification that owning individual properties doesn't have. So that is a way you can have your cake and eat it, too. So, yeah, and I would say go right ahead. The real question is this. Here's the real question. What are you going to do with the proceeds of the money from the sale of the house? Where are you going to invest that? And what about all the money in your 403B and other retirement accounts? You've got seven hundred fifty grand in those accounts. Where's that money invested? So how that money's invested and the management of that, I think, is the real elephant in the room. And we didn't even talk about that. So I would encourage you to meet with a financial advisor who can look at the big picture, not just the core decision of do we sell this rental property, but what do we do then? What happens next? How do we manage the assets to generate the income we need for the rest of our lives in a tax-efficient way, managing our risks, controlling our costs, so that we're able to enjoy the lifestyle that we want? Sounds good. So if we can help you, as you probably know, we have offices not far from you uh, in Clifton. We're happy to meet with you and uh, go through this process. If you're not going to do it with us, do it with someone, and I think you'll get a real big advantage from doing so. Great. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, Ken. Thank you for calling. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. You can do what Ken did and call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. You can also visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, heading off to Amherst, New Hampshire. David, you're on the air. How are you? Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Doing terrific, thank you. How can I help? Okay, so this question came out of a conversation about taking Social Security and when to take it. And by deferring it, you get that 7-8% bump every year. Um, but as it turns out, if you're over a certain amount of income, all that does is get you to pay more tax on it. So I'm 60 years old. I'm trying to put uh, a plan together. I'm retired now. I don't need my retirement funds. So I'm trying to figure – I have a fairly large um, 401 that I'm trying to think about plan over the next 10 years before I start this RMD process to move as much of it or a portion of it out and convert to into a Roth. But then I have um, a good chunk of money in a, um, in a brokerage account that I'm wondering if this uh, other way to get tax-free money in retirement would be one of these LIRP 
programs. So I'm assuming this conversation you're saying you had was with an insurance agent. No, I just read about it. Oh, okay. On the internet, I'm assuming. That's why I'm calling. Yeah, okay. Well, stop doing that um, because you're falling for a bad sales pitch. Uh, let me back up and explain to folks what you're talking about and, and the premise of all this. There's a desire among many people to avoid paying taxes. I get it. None of us like to pay taxes. Uh, there's also uh, the opportunity for people to take their eye off the ball, meaning they get so fixated on trying to avoid taxes that they end up making decisions that in the end, net of taxes reduces the amount of money they have or increases their risks or shortens the amount of income or the length of time they can get the income and so on, and lots of problems occur. Um, the notion that, hey, I, you know, as you said, um, if you delay taking Social Security benefits, you get more when you start taking them. That's true. You're allowed to take Social Security benefits in retirement as early as age 62. But if you wait a year, the check you'll get is 8% more at age 63 than it would have been at age 62. If you wait until 64, it's another 8% more. In other words, every year you wait all the way to age 70, each year the check you eventually start to receive is 8% more than it would have been a year earlier. That's a huge benefit and why we often encourage our clients to wait until they're age 70 to begin receiving Social Security benefits. If you've got a health issue, that means you're going to be dead at 72. That's not a good idea. But... Um, Generally, for a lot of folks, delaying the benefit is helpful. But as you noted, if you delay the benefit, you end up getting a bigger benefit. And depending on your situation, particularly if you're earning an income still from gainful employment, some of your Social Security benefit will become taxable. And you made the comment, I don't want to receive more of a benefit if all it's going to do is make me pay more in taxes. Right? That's what you said, right? Correct. Think about that for a second. Say you make a dollar and you pay taxes of 30 cents. You get $2, you pay taxes of 60 cents. You're telling me you don't want the $2 because you don't want to pay the 60 cents in taxes? You're willing to walk away from more money simply because you don't want to pay more in tax? Does that sound logical? Does that sound logical? Well, I, I guess it, it takes an analysis to figure out if I started taking No, it, it doesn't, David. No, it doesn't. No? At the end of the day, even after you pay more in taxes, you'll have more money. Do you get it? I mean, if you really want to eliminate your tax liability, I can do that for you. If you follow my drift. All you got to do is give away all your money. Become broke and worthless. You'll have no taxes to pay. If you don't want to pay capital gains taxes on the profits of your investments, just make sure you buy investments that lose money. You see my point? Let's not let the tax tail wag the money dog. Let's not get so obsessed with having to pay taxes that we walk away from more money. You get my point? So, so then it, you would agree it's better to pay tax now on 401 money and pull it out and convert it to a Roth? No, no, no. It's only going to go up? No, 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 no. That's a whole separate thing we haven't gotten there yet. I'm still focusing on your notion that you don't want to delay Social Security benefits to the future higher payment because of a future higher cost of tax of the higher payment you're going to get. My point is that's flawed logic. Okay. So delay the Social Security benefit, wait until you need the money or wait until age 70, collect the bigger benefit. And so what if you're paying more in taxes? You're still getting more money.
me. And that's really the whole point of this. Okay. So that's the first half. Here's the second half. You've got a lot of money in 401ks. Congratulations. Good for you. You've achieved the American dream. Most Americans are very jealous of you. I applaud you. In fact, I'm going to give you the applause of the day. Because you've got a million dollars in your 401k. That's really awesome. And another $2 million in taxable account, you said. Congratulations. You're really doing fabulous, and, and I'm really proud of you. But now you're saying to yourself, how can I maximize the efficiency to minimize the taxes? And that's an appropriate goal. That's smart on your part. And you're questioning, should I move the money from the 401k to a Roth so that my future income is all tax-free? That's a good question you're asking, and a lot of folks have the same question. Here's what you have to understand about that question. If you take money from a retirement account, whether it's your 401k or a 403b, the thrift savings plan in the government, 457, an IRA, I don't care what it is, any kind of retirement account. If you move the money from the retirement account to a Roth, yes, the future Roth distributions are tax-free, but there's a catch. The catch is you're going to pay taxes right now on the money you move to the Roth. So your choice, in other words, is you pay the tax now or you pay the tax later. If you do the calculations, you'll discover that it makes no difference. You will end up with the same net worth. You will end up with the same wealth either way. It's a wash. And since it's a wash... There's really no point in converting to the Roth. In other words, why pay a tax today that you don't have to otherwise pay if, in the end of the day, it doesn't do you any good? And, in fact, that's why Congress lets you do it, because they know it doesn't help you to do the Roth. All it does is accelerate the tax revenue that Congress gets. So, no, I'm not really a big fan of you converting to the Roth. Okay. All right? Now, here's the third part. You asked about the uh, the LERP, the LIRP, and that's why I asked if you yeah. were in conversation with a life insurance agent. Because a LERP, a life insurance retirement plan, that's what LIRP stands for, is a scam. It is nothing more than a sales pitch, a marketing strategy to trick or, okay, maybe that's too harsh a word, to convince consumers to convert their savings and investments into life insurance policies. And the only people who endorse this idea are the life insurance agents who make massive commissions by selling you those insurance policies. It's nonsense. There is no way that life insurance was ever designed to be an investment. And in fact, they're regulated as insurance products, not as investment products. Uh, So no, it's a very bad idea. It doesn't work. You're not going to generate the kind of benefits Uh, and flexibility that you currently have, you're instead going to potentially generate massive taxes, significant expenses, limited liquidity, below market returns, all in favor of the sales pitch that they're promoting. And one of the things they tout in their sales pitch is no stock market risk. You don't have to worry about losing money in the market. The income you receive is guaranteed. Well, all of that is true, but the reason it's true is that the guarantee is so low that you'll one day wish you had had exposure to the stock market. Uh, The returns they offer have a ceiling, a maximum uh, return that you can get. In many cases in these contracts, you can't begin to receive income for a certain number of years. Otherwise, you suffer substantial surrender charges. There are massive expenses associated with these products and huge commissions, which is why the insurance agents are busy touting them, which they often do on the internet, which is why I asked if that's where you'd read it, and in books and in seminars. 
and in uh, nifty sales pitches at churches, company picnics, and cocktail parties. <laughs> okay. All right, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it seemed a little bit sketchy, which is why I, I put, it, put it out there. Yeah, I'm glad you did, and especially because a lot of other folks are encountering that sales pitch, and they're really glad that you brought it up to me because they've got the same question as you did. So what I would recommend is that you meet with an independent, objective fee-only financial planner, someone who doesn't earn commissions, someone who isn't selling products, who can give you advice as a fiduciary, meaning serving your best interest. So we can look at the million bucks in your 401k, the two million bucks in your taxable accounts, and help you figure out how to generate the income you need to support yourself and your family for as long as you're going to live. And by looking at it in that context, and taking care of the other aspects of personal finance, mortgages, college planning for kids and grandkids, your estate planning, caring for aging parents, we can provide you with a comprehensive financial plan that includes these questions as opposed to dealing only with those questions. Okay. We're happy to help you. We've got offices not far from you in New England. You're welcome to give us a call like you did today, David, at 888-PLAN-RICK, and we'll be glad to sit down and help you through all this. Thank you much, Rick. You're very welcome, David. I really appreciate your phone call. You can do what David did and do what I just told David to do. Triple Eight Plan Rick. That's Triple Eight Seven Five Two Sixty Seven Forty Two. Named by Talkers Magazine as one of the heavy hundred talk show hosts in America, this is the Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. I've been telling you for several years now that pretty soon the only place you're going to see currency is in a museum. I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal story earlier this week on children and the dollar bill talking about how kids, when presented with dollars, actual physical currency, literally don't know what to do with it. Because everything they do is online with PayPal or Venmo or their parents' debit cards. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta says that 12% of consumers never used cash at all in an entire year. When's the last time you used cash to buy anything? The Pew Research Center says 29% of Americans in a recent week made no purchases using cash. Whether you're buying a stick of gum or a cup of coffee or filling up your gas tank, we're using online, electronic, digital resources. And that's why I'm convinced that crypto assets are the future. Bitcoin, the most well-known, the original crypto asset, still is 40% of the market. And as a disclosure, I think you know that I own Bitcoin personally, as well as Ethereum, and I'm invested in a variety of funds investing in cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, and the blockchain. Not necessarily recommending that that's appropriate for you, but as a disclosure, I mention it. This thing is growing. There's no question about it. Recently, the New York State Department of Financial Services gave approval to Robinhood to trade in seven cryptocurrencies. They're already able to do that in 30 states now in New York. In Great Britain, they're now dealing with contactless payments. What is that? That's where you don't even have to pull out your credit card. No contact of any kind. You just wave a wand using PayPal or your smartphone, 
they discovered that the use of contactless payments increased 64% in a single year. It now represents a quarter of all purchases in Great Britain. Simultaneously, the use of cash declined by 11%. J.P. Morgan is the biggest credit card issuer in the United States. They say that all of their Visa cards will be enabled for contactless payments by June. Their debit cards by the end of the year. So you know how you have to hand your credit card to the cashier and they print out a piece of paper and you have to sign the piece of paper? No more. You're not going to have to do that anymore. Visa says there will be 100 million contactless cards in the U.S. by the end of the year. And already 30% of adults are not using cash at all. Oh, by the way, another big piece of news from J.P. Morgan this week. They announced that they are rolling out their own cryptocurrency. They're the first U.S. bank to be doing this, and it's going to transform the payments business. J.P. Morgan moves $6 trillion every day. These are corporations around the world, think about this, who do business with other corporations. They're buying and selling goods and services, and they've got to transfer money from their company to the other company. That's called the payments business, as they make payments from one business to another. It's massive. J.P. Morgan does this for 80% of the Fortune 500 companies, and they are now issuing the JPM coin, a digital token comparable to Bitcoin. It will be used to instantly settle transactions. It's the first real-world use of a digital coin by a major U.S. bank. By the way, this is the same company whose CEO, Jamie Dimon, called Bitcoin a fraud. But now suddenly, they're creating their own coin to engage in blockchain technology. Let me give you an illustration of this. International payments between large corporations, how do they move money between each other? Well, they do it by wire transfer. It takes two days to settle those transactions. Thanks to J.P. Morgan's coin, they'll be able to do it in real time, any time of day, 24-7. So instead of having to wait a couple of days to get your money, you literally get it instantly. How about securities transactions? If you're buying or selling a stock, I think you know the drill. There's a three-day settlement. It takes three days from the time you sell a security to being able to have access to your money. Well, instead of three-day settlement, J.P. Morgan is going to provide this to institutional investors instantly. And yes, retail clients will be next. It's still a bit of a wild west out there, though. As huge an announcement as that is from J.P. Morgan, you can be sure other banks will be quickly following suit. Eventually, it'll be this way for everyone everywhere, further eliminating the use of cash. But it's still the wild west. One trading platform recently had to pay almost $400,000 for operating what the SEC says was an unregistered securities exchange. And I don't know if you ever heard of the uh, professional boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, or the music producer DJ Khalid. They got money promoting cryptocurrencies and didn't tell people they were getting paid to do it. They both had to pay big fines, penalties, and disgorgement. What's stopping you from buying Bitcoin? or other digital currencies? Well, if you're like most people who are asked the question, you say, I don't know how to do it. It's too confusing. It's a little bit scary and risky. There's not a lot of federal regulation to help protect me. And all of that is true. All of that contributes as to why we're not actively telling our clients at Edelman Financial Engines to go buy Bitcoin. 
But you know what people say is the way they do want to buy it? 58%, according to a recent industry survey, say that the way that they want to buy Bitcoin is through an ETF, an exchange-traded fund that would be regulated by the SEC. There have been more than a dozen applications to the SEC so far for the launch of a Bitcoin ETF. The SEC so far has rejected all the applications because it doesn't meet their standards, but the industry attitude is eventually the SEC will agree to the approval of a Bitcoin ETF. And when that happens, financial advisors will be able to recommend the ETF to you. Individual consumers will be able to buy the ETF through their brokerage firms or investment advisors. And that is when many people argue there will be an explosion in demand. As people say, there's finally a way, a vehicle for me to engage in this emerging asset class. For now, we encourage you to simply continue your education, make sure you understand how this works, recognize the risks. If you're going to do this, keep your investment very small. 1% of assets is plenty. And plan to hold for a very long time, sustaining lots of volatility in the meantime, and be prepared to lose it all because that's very well what might happen. Changing subjects, we can't possibly end the show without another weekly conversation on Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo has now agreed to pay $575 million to all 50 states and D.C. related to the opening of millions of fake accounts. They've identified 3.5 million fake accounts as a result of aggressive sales practices. They improperly charged insurance costs on 2 million automobile uh, owners and mortgage borrowers. And by the way, twice in the past week, Wells Fargo online banking and mobile app crashed, preventing their online users from gaining access. Clients with advisory fees at Wells Fargo Advisors are now being charged a new annual fee. It goes into effect April 12th. And by the way, Wells Fargo's advisors will not get a cut of the new fee. The company's just keeping all that money. Meanwhile, a federal judge says a class action suit brought by three former Wells Fargo advisors can proceed. They say that Wells Fargo failed to pay them overtime, and the judge says that thousands more Wells Fargo advisors are eligible to join the suit. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo has announced that advisors who generate less than a quarter million dollars a year in revenue will get a pay cut. And there's also a requirement that a certain proportion of every advisor's clients be wealthy. No wonder a 1,000 advisors have left Wells Fargo since 2016. The number of advisors there is down 4%, and they're now recruiting new advisors by offering them bonuses of up to 300% of what they earned last year at a competitor. Yeah, you got to wonder why anybody would work for or be a client of Wells Fargo. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for joining us here on the program this week. If we can help you, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. Enjoy the holiday, and that's a wrap. As a reward, you'll have no radio for the rest of the week. Go to your room. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.